Hey guys, what's up? It's Nikki, and you are listening to Evolution by Nikki, the podcast. Today is going to be episode four, entitled The First Time. And today I'm going to be giving you a look into the opioid epidemic, um, how it began, and when it impacted my family. I'm going to keep today's episode a little bit shorter. Um, I do want to do this probably in at least a uh, two-part kind of episode. So it'll be really episode four and episode five. Um, So today I'm just going to kind of give like an introduction. Um, So in 1996, Purdue Pharma uh, produced... Oxycontin. They were the creator, the maker of Oxycontin. And they wanted to essentially put the companies who prescribed, or not prescribed, I'm sorry, the the companies who um, produced Vicodin and Percocet and all of those other uh, opioids, they wanted to put them out of business. So they got a special label from the FDA citing that Oxycontin was less addictive than previous uh, opioids, such as the ones I just mentioned, like Percocet and Vicodin. So they started um, pushing Oxycontin on physicians and physicians were so enamored with the fact that Oxycontin wouldn't lead to addiction. So they began over-prescribing and over-medicating and individualizing the dose. So whereas you were only supposed to be, you know, starting someone maybe on 10 milligrams or 20 milligrams, Um, If your patient is coming in with persistent pain or the pain level is not being managed adequately, they were individualizing the dose and they would start you at whatever they felt was appropriate. And they would also um, increase the milligrams however they saw fit. And it allowed them to kind of create this problem. And it began in rural areas, um, not necessarily, you know, New Jersey, not necessarily where I was from in Bayonne. Um, That's not where ground zero for the opioid epidemic was or is. Um, If you want to find that, you're going to have to go to places like Kentucky and West Virginia Um, and towns where their entire way of life is maybe, you know, manual labor, go to a uh, coal town, go to a coal town and ask all of those men who work in the mines if they take Oxycontin or if they take Vicodin or if they take Percocet. And I guarantee you, probably more than 75% of them would admit to taking that. They wouldn't admit to being an addict, but they would admit to being hooked. They would admit that they can't go off of it. 
So they mislabeled Oxycontin. They falsely got an, a label giving them an exception as a non-addictive opioid. People started getting addicted and asking to be weaned off. People were basically narcoleptic, um, sleeping all day, passing out, you know, not able to hold down a job, not able to function. So before their pain was keeping them out of work. And so they were taking Oxycontin so that their pain would go away so that they could work effectively and be productive. And then they got hooked on Oxycontin and now they're losing their jobs because they're not getting up for work because they're high off their ass all the time and they can't function anymore. So Purdue Pharma, along with other pharmacies, pharmaceutical companies, um, is directly responsible for the opioid epidemic in America. And if you don't believe me, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you think I'm full of shit, go on Hulu and watch Dope Sick. Dope Sick is the best thing that I've ever watched on TV ever in my life. And it's very personal for me because Dope Sick follows an, a user follows a girl who got injured at work and follows her journey. It, you know, it follows her through the progression of her substance use. And in episode, I think it was episode two, um, she was already like wise to the fact that she was getting hooked and she already was um, abusing them and taking more than she needed. Um, but another issue with Oxycontin is that um, its half-life sucks. So it was supposed to be working for, let's say, 12 hours. Well, um, you know, they'd give you 40 milligrams and they'd be like, okay, 40 milligrams should be enough. So you can take this, you know, every 12 hours but it was only lasting for six. So people were waking up, for example, in the middle of the night, you know, writhing in pain. And so what did they do? They popped another 40, but it wasn't 12 hours later. It was only six hours later. So then they take it in the middle of the night and then they wake up to go to work six hours later and then they're in pain again. So what do they do? They pop another oxy. So before you know it, you were only supposed to be taking two 40 milligrams a day, but now you're taking four 40 milligrams a day. So now you're not telling your doctor that you're taking it excessively. So now your, 30, your supply of 30 of them is gonna go faster than it was supposed to, right? Simple math. You're supposed to use two a day out of 30, it's gonna last you X amount of time. Now you're using four a day. It's gonna last you X amount of time, right? 
two different amounts of time. So the problem that was created with this is these users can't go without. They can't go without. Their bodies are addicted, right? So if you don't know anything about addiction, if you don't know what that's like and what chemical dependency is like, um, you might not understand what I'm saying. But these people, these people felt like they had no choice because like I was saying in episode two, this girl, she went through her first episode of DTs. And if you don't know what that is, that's detoxing. And um, detoxing is the hardest and the saddest thing that I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, and I know that I haven't given you too much information yet. Um, but around 2000, around 2000, 2002, um, my mother became an opioid addict. And from the moment that I found her like that for the first time, I knew that I had lost her. I tried my hardest. Um, I did everything that a child could or should do. Um, but I knew that it had taken a hold of her and I knew um, that I wasn't going to get her back. And it was heartbreaking. Um, but I've witnessed her several times throughout the years uh, go through DTs and I'll just describe it real quick and I really would like you to go and watch Dope Sick and specifically um, like I said episode two when she goes through this um, your body is basically convulsing you're in a fetal position you're sweating profusely you're vomiting all over the place your whole body hurts. You're crawling out of your skin. You have anxiety like nothing else you've ever felt. You're sick. You're desperate. These people didn't ask for this life. These people were told by doctors that they trusted medical professionals that they trusted. They were told that this drug was safe. They were told that this drug is non-addictive. And then it was forced on them. They stopped prescribing things like Vicodin and Percocet because the doctors were being paid off by pharmaceutical companies like Purdue to push certain drugs. And Oxycontin was one of those drugs. It was a big ticket item, a huge moneymaker for them. And they didn't care about the ramifications of what they were doing. 
And even when doctors went back to them and told them the percentages of their patients that were getting addicted and experiencing issues, their, their fix was individualize the dose, individualize the dose. So they were not telling these doctors that this was in fact a real problem. They were saying that it could be fixed and managed by changing the milligrams. And they ignored the fact that they had just created an epidemic in the United States like nothing we've ever seen. And this is going to go on until someone stands up for all of these people and says, this is fucking bullshit. We didn't ask for this. We trusted you. You misled us. And now you're costing us our lives. Think about how many families were ruined by the opioid epidemic. How many ODs there were on Oxycontin. How many people are not involved with their families anymore? They're still alive, but they're dead inside. They're not the same person they once were. They don't have any decisional making capacity, just like my mother. When I knew, when I knew, I watched the sparkle leave her eyes and never return. I watched her choose drugs and other things over me. And I blamed myself for a really long time because I didn't understand how you could let your desire for a drug get in between you and the relationship you have with your daughter. Now, no matter what I said in episode three, Mommy Issues, I did say that I was loyal to my mom and I loved her more than anything. And I would never be disloyal or, you know, give her up or say anything um, against her. And so this whole time while, you know, this was going on, I didn't know that, I don't know, I, I, I feel stupid and I know it sounds stupid and I know you're going to be like, this is, this is part your fault, Nicolette, you know, this is part your fault. Um, I mean, that's the way I always felt anyway. I didn't say anything to anyone. Um, I was embarrassed and scared and if I'm being honest, um, something that I actually just told my father um, maybe yesterday or two days ago is um, when I was younger, my mom used to threaten me um, with foster care and with diaphys. And when I would act up or, you know, misbehave or anything, um, you know, she would tell me that 
Dyfus would come and take me away from her and I would never see her again and that I would get, you know, another mommy. So I was petrified. I was petrified to say anything to anyone because I didn't want to be taken away, you know, and shit was fucked up. No doubt. Shit was really fucked up. But at the same time in my head at that age, I also was like, well, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You know, who who knows what can happen if I open my mouth? You know, where are they going to make me go? What's going to happen to her? So I kept my mouth shut. And I blamed myself for a really long time. But I realized that everyone around us, everyone that was close to us knew. The the adults in my life that were friends of hers and would come to our house and, um, you know, just friends, they all knew. They were all loaning her money. They were all giving her drugs and they were all watching me sit there witness all of this and no one said anything I was barely 13 not even and the adults around me failed me because they saw what was going on they knew we needed help and they turned the other way. But they didn't have a, a problem excuse me, providing her with drugs or you know, loaning her money for drugs. It, it just it's sickening, really, it's sickening. So the purpose of this episode was to give you a preface to my life and what I saw and endured for all of those years that she was um, in my life and an opioid addict. Because when this started in 2000, roughly, um, it lasted the rest of her life. And I stopped talking to her. I never talked to her again after uh, 2011. And in 2018, March of 2018, she passed away from opioid-related health problems, right? So substance abuse, addiction-related health problems. Um, my personal opinion is that she OD'd, but I'll never know because her boyfriend that she was living with cleared the apartment out of any drugs so when the cops came to pronounce her dead, um, there was no sign of foul play. And that's his exact words to me on the phone. When he told me my mother died, the first thing he said to me was the cops are here and they checked for signs of foul play and didn't find any. I thought that was so fucking weird, but I didn't think anything of it at the time, like because... I was hysterical crying about my mom. 
you know, I hadn't talked to her in eight years. I wasn't thinking about him, what he said and how illogical it was and how, who the fuck says that when someone's, you know, mom dies. I didn't think about any of that. Um, but he, they were both addicts and the police found no fucking prescriptions in the house, no bottles. She was an active user, but no bottles in the house. She died on the fucking couch. She was sleeping on a couch. She didn't even have a bed. She didn't even have a bed anymore. That's how she was living. She died on a couch by herself in the middle of the night. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the fucking opioid epidemic. I really appreciate you guys listening this morning. And I'm excited, as crazy as that sounds, I'm excited to post Friday's episode um, because I'm going to take a really deep dive into the years 2000 um, through about 2008. So I will see you guys um, Friday at 6 a.m. Thank you so much for listening. And I really do hope that you have a great week. Please feel free to reach out. Um, If there's anything about what I said that you identify with, if you know anyone um, dealing with substance abuse issues, maybe even yourself, um, there is hope and there is help. And lucky for you, you found me and you found this podcast and I am beyond driven and motivated right now to save everyone that I can from living the life that my mother lived. So if you need help, if you need resources, if you need someone to talk to, um, I will give you my phone number. I will talk to you on the phone. Um, And that goes for anyone. Because when you're dealing with things like this, you shouldn't be alone. And it shouldn't be so hard to get help. Because there are people who this is their life. This is their job. This is what they were meant to do. And I'm one of those people. I never knew what I was put on this earth for until I found this calling. And I'm not going to let one message or one phone call go unanswered. Because to me, that one message, that one phone call could be the difference between life and death. So please, if you need any resources, reach out. I can post links You can remain anonymous. Just know that help is out there and that people do care. Thank you so much, and I'll see you guys soon.